This is our fourth session now on Ephesians 3, 14 to 19, this second great prayer in the book of Ephesians, the other one being back in chapter 1, verse 15, following. And what we're going to do here is, I suppose, one of my favorite things to do in Ephesians, and I hope it proves deeply fruitful for you. I'll show you what we're going to do. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you, and then everything else is prayer request. My question is what are the riches? Of his glory. And what does he mean by saying that if God grants his prayer, it will be according to, in accord with, the riches of his glory? So, Father, as we try to understand what are the riches of your glory, and as we try to understand what it would mean to have you give us answers to prayer in accord with the riches of your glory. Open our eyes to what's here and grant that our thinking and our our affections would be brought into line with what you have revealed. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I pose a question like this, what does it mean that something accords with the riches of glory I have three things that I do at least. The first is to look at the immediate context to see if it sheds any light on the meaning of the phrase riches of glory, because what he's praying for might clue me in about how Paul thinks things accord with the riches of his glory. And here's the interesting thing. There's nothing in this prayer about health or marriage, or home, or job, or food, or even forgiveness. Look what, look what he asked for. Strength in the inner person, Christ dwelling in our hearts, rootedness in love, comprehending with saints the breadth, length, height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ, filled with all the fullness of God. This is a radically God-centered or Christ-exalting prayer, right? He's just not asking for anything that unbelievers ask for. And I would encourage you to test your own prayer life. Are are you praying only in the way that unbelievers pray? Unbelievers who don't have any spiritual life want health, they want good marriages, they want homes, they want jobs, they want food, they want forgiveness. That is, they hate guilty consciences. And it's tragic when Christians pray like the world prays. So. Test yourself. And this is a great place to test yourself. That's the first thing I do. 
My suggestion is that right now, it looks like the whole thing climaxes with, oh, that I could be full of all the fullness of God, which suggests that the riches of glory is glory. I mean, the emphasis falls on God's glory, not the things like that might flow from glory, all these things down here. If you, if you have the main idea that riches of glory are the things that glory might overflow with, and you don't focus on glory, namely God himself as the fullness that you want, you might be off balance. That's my first clue. The second thing I do is to ask, well, what does of mean? Or what, what are the possible meanings of this phrase, riches of his glory? And it could be that glory is the source of riches. So riches of glory could be uh, the riches that flow from glory. God is so glorious that all kinds of riches flow from him for his people. That could be one meaning. Frankly, I think that is a true meaning. We'll see it. Or it could be that glory, riches of glory could mean glory is the riches. It is the riches. Riches of glory, like block of wood. The, the block is made of wood. The riches are made of glory. That's, that's another meaning. So we, we need to decide which of those two, or is it both, or are they ranked in some way? That's the second thing I do, is doodle on a piece of paper about the possibilities of meaning, and then let the immediate context feed into thinking about those possibilities. And here's the third thing I do, and we'll spend the rest of the time on this. I look at the texts that point me to a similar phraseology. In other words, texts where I find this very phrase, riches of glory or something like it used. Let's look at them. Romans 9. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for the vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory? So this text looks like the aim is to make known to the vessels of mercy the riches of his glory. And if you say, which does it mean? The glory itself, which is the riches, or the riches which flow from the glory, he seems to say he has prepared them beforehand for glory, not for the stuff that comes from glory. That's a pointer. Colossians 1.27 To the saints God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not the hope of the things that come from glory, as good as those may be, and as surely they will come, like a new body, and no more crying, and no more pain, and a new heavens, and a new earth, and new relationships, and no more sinning. Oh my goodness, so much is going to flow in riches to us from glory. But that's not the point here. The point here seems to be Christ in you is the hope of glory, the riches of glory are the riches that are the glory. Here's another one, Ephesians 1, 18. 
Paul prays that you would have the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you've been called, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now, that one could go either way, couldn't it? This inheritance could be the riches that come from glory. This inheritance could be the riches that are glory. So that could go either way. But here's one that doesn't go either way. This one is practical helpfulness from God's glory, which are riches. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And in the context of 419, this is financial. They have been very generous with Paul. They have put themselves at risk. And Paul is saying, look, you look to God and he will supply every practical need you have so that you can do his will and glorify his name. And these riches, therefore, are going to overflow in very practical food on the table, pay the bills. Ephesians 2, 7. He made us alive so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. Now, I know that's not glory, but I'm going to tie it in in just a minute. The immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The goal of the coming ages eternally is for God to show us riches of grace. And grace is God's gift to us of everything we need. Like chapter 1, verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, like every, (laughs) everything that heaven can give will be given. That's what grace supplies. This glorious kindness here, grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus, will be the, the every of one three. Every spiritual blessing. And spiritual doesn't mean excluding material, since we're going to have spiritual bodies in the new heavens and the new earth. There will be a new kind of reality, and all of it will be suffused with the Holy Spirit of God and thus spiritual. Now, how does Paul put those together? The glory of God is the ultimate goal, and the glory of God is the fountain of all kinds of good that comes to us. One five. God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose. Everything accords with this gigantic eternal purpose of his will. And what is it? To the praise of the glory of his grace. The ultimate end of spending and eternity lavishing grace on us is not that our focus be on the gifts of glory, but on the glory of the gifts. The glory of grace. Now, keep going. With which he has blessed us. So he's blessed us in the beloved whom he gave to die for us, that he might have us as his children. In him we have redemption. Now, there's a gift. That's a gift. 
We've been bought free from sin and hell and guilt, condemnation through his blood. The forgiveness, that's a gift. So in no way, in no way do I want to diminish the preciousness and beauty of the gifts of grace. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. So the riches of his grace here include redemption, include forgiveness. Now, if we just had that, we might think, well, the end point is forgiveness. The end point is redemption. And a a worldly response would be, I've got my forgiveness. I've got my redemption. See you, God. You can take off. I don't need you anymore. You've given me what I really want. Bye-bye. No Christian thinks like that. And here's the reason they don't. Everything is to the praise of the glory of this grace. Things do not terminate merely on grace as the giving of gifts. They terminate on grace as a revelation of the glory of God. So here's my effort to put into a sentence the answer to the question, what does it mean that Paul's prayer will be answered according to the riches of his glory? And this is simply my effort to craft a careful sentence to draw together everything I've seen in those three approaches to answering the question. When God gives or grants an answer to prayer, according to the riches of his glory, which is the phrase we're trying to understand from verse 16 of Ephesians 3, he prays that according to the riches of his glory, God may grant you, etc. When God gives according to the riches of his glory, the gift, the answer to prayer, that answer to prayer, that gift is owing to and in proportion with. That's my answer to the meaning of according to. According to means owing to and in proportion with. One, the infinite resources of God's glory to meet every true need. So I'm honoring the texts like Philippians 4.19, which speak of riches flowing from glory. And it will be owing to and in proportion with the infinite beauty So not just resources, but beauty of God's glory. The resources of God's glory, what it yields, overflows with, and the beauty of God's glory in that overflowing and through that overflowing to be, be our all-satisfying treasure, namely the riches pointing to God's glory. So, I'm arguing that riches of his glory has this double meaning, 
riches that flow from God's glory and riches that point to and lead us into God's glory. So here's my summary statement. God's glory is the mountain spring from which everything is flowing and the final ocean into which it all flows. And Romans 11.36 says, From him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory. Here's the end point. To him be glory forever and ever, which is exactly what 1.6 said the goal of the creation is, to the praise of the glory of his grace. So it is right to think of the riches of God's glory as being the overflow of the resources of God's glory, and it's right to think of the riches of God's glory as the beauty of God's glory, which will in and through all of those resources be the ultimate satisfaction of our soul.